Are you ready? Yep. All right, let's do it. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. This season, as we continue to examine the structures in and out of our organizations that help us work through change, I want to spend some time talking about project and program management. I've talked to people who have kind of a love-hate relationship with project management. You know, when there's no project management rigor around the change programs we're trying to drive, programs can feel chaotic and collapse under the weight of that chaos. But when there's dogmatic adherence to standard project management, one-size-fits-all practices, it can feel like change initiatives collapse under the weight of non-value-added administrative burden. My guest today is J.C. Cooper, Director of Projects and Planning at the Kent District Library, and she shares with us the change journey she's guided her organization through, charting a course to improving project management rigor without stifling creativity and momentum within her organization, as well as how program management structures have actually helped Kent District Library lean more effectively into change. So JC, tell me a little bit about how you got into project management. I kind of started this journey back in 2019. I was in the executive assistant role. Um, So kind of for background, I work for a suburban library system. We have 20 branches spread across the whole county, and we have about 350 employees. So when it comes to comparing it to like a company, maybe we're small potatoes, but as far as a comparison to libraries, we're we're quite large. We're, um, you know, the busiest library in the state of Michigan. Um, So I was at the time in the executive assistant role, and I was really eager to take on more and grow. I was interested in that position because I was interested in library administration, and it gave me this great like 360 overview of the organization. I got to see what our executive director was doing at all times. It was like a permanent job shadow um, of that role and really learn the ins and outs of the organization. So with that perspective, I began noticing a lot of kind of overlap. We had different groups working on the same projects. We had projects that were kind of being dragged out for a really long time or not really any like uh, formal method of tracking uh, progress on them. And so um, I started documenting some of this stuff and I came into my office one day and our director and our HR director um, put this giant project management book on my desk and they were like, you should look into this. So I started looking into it a little bit more and we started having conversations around what that would look like in a library. And um, back in 2019, we were starting to talk about embarking on a new strategic planning process. And we were working with a consultant who guided us through that. And um, he has his PMP and he was very um, embedded in that, in that community. And he recommended that I connect with the local PMI chapter. So um, I just began on this like learning journey. I was learning from all different people from medical around here to IT to construction. And of course, at first I was very overwhelmed <laughs> because I was like, how am I going to get these really rigid practices and this like array of jargon into my organization that is like notoriously creative and passionate and idea oriented and innovative. Um, How do I make sure that that isn't going to replace that? 
But and so how do you strike that balance? I we joked before the call that right, I should call this podcast leadership in the wild, right? We learn things in an academic sense. And then those things don't necessarily survive first contact with the real world and like the world of, of work as it really is. And so how have you gone about balancing sort of the needs of a fundamentally creative workforce and organization and sort of an ideating space with the benefits of additional structure that sort of formal project management methods provide? Yeah, so that was the first directive from my boss, our executive director. He um, is passionate about innovation and, um, you know, we have worked for years predating me to maintaining this really innovative culture. I mean, he stresses that ideas come from anywhere and, you know, my directive was create order out of chaos, but don't make it bureaucratic. So I was like, okay, that's a tall order. So I'd have these like sleepless nights, like, how do I balance this? How do I balance this? Right. And I, like, admittedly, I was a little overwhelmed with, you know, just the the vast array of knowledge in this in this industry, in the project management industry. And I put myself under a lot of pressure to try to teach an organization of 350 people project management, right? Some people didn't are starting with zero knowledge of it. Some people have a little bit of background. And then I kind of, you know, I kind of had an epiphany. I was like, I don't need to teach project management principles to this organization. And I don't need to be uh, like a cookie cutter project management. I need to learn as much as I can and use the knowledge I have about our culture. And I guess the awareness I have for how much change the, the, the organization is willing to take on at this time and go from there. So you know, one of my like strengths, if we're talking about like strength finder things is agility. And I was like, whatever process we have to create, we have to make sure that it's agile. So I first started by looking at different like tools and, you know, I had been tracking how many different logins we have for things because people get exasperated by that. So one thing that I knew I wanted to do for um, a higher likelihood of adoption is to use existing technology. So I wanted to build something where people didn't have to log in. It was embedded into things we already had. So people couldn't run from it. <laughs> they couldn't not log into it. It was there. So I used Microsoft SharePoint in a little bit of a non-traditional way. I worked with our IT department and built this great dashboard that showed all of the different active projects, all of the projects that were in the queue waiting to be either approved, denied, or prioritized. The submission form was there. So um, I had a vision for what had to happen, and I just needed to help establish governance and process to get there. I, I wanted it highly visual because like I said, I've, I've worked for the, the library for seven years now and I worked my way up from the bottom. So I have these really deep rooted relationships and I have a really good understanding of how people work and what they're open to. And so I, I knew it had to be highly visual and kind of part of what they were already doing, but a little bit more enhanced. So we started planning this rollout um, during the pandemic. And from February 2021 through April 2021, I had a two-month rollout just doing little pieces at a time so it wasn't overwhelming. And to this day, I'm, I'm astounded because, like I said, I, <laughs> I lost a lot of sleep over this. But um, 
I was astounded for how well bought in everyone was. Like I put a lot of work in on the front end to make sure buy-in was the first and foremost thing. So I had a lot of support from our executive team. They were asking for this. Um, and I'm now part of the executive team. I was not when I started on this. But I first started appealing to managers because I knew all of their pain points. Um, they they didn't want to not know what their staff were up to. They didn't want surprise rollouts. They didn't want simultaneous project rollouts. So I did a presentation to them and I got them all bought in. I got their feedback. I asked them what they wanted to see out of it. And I really brought them along to help to help create these processes. And then I appealed to kind of the rest of the organization by um, really highlighting the benefits. Like, yes, we're going to give up a little bit of freedom and autonomy and in, in, in like creative energy. No, you're not going to be planning your programs in the shower before you do them that day. But we, we started appealing to the benefits of it, which is stronger communication, foresight, knowing what's coming in, up in the next fiscal year. And um, we had a town hall kind of teeing us up to this long, um, this long rollout. And I don't know if many of your listeners are Simpsons fans, but I used a Simpsons analogy because Simpsons kind of universal um, where Homer has like this, this car he's asked to design and he doesn't really look at it as a whole. Kind of, and this is kind of an analogy for our organization. You know, people weren't looking at it as a whole. They were looking at their individual parts. So Homer puts in like this horn that sings like La Cucaracha. It's lime green. It has shade carpet. It has all this like funny stuff that might be great like by itself. But together, it's this punky, junky, like overwhelming thing. And it doesn't have a market for it. Nobody wants it because it doesn't a- appeal to anybody. It's not focused. It's too expensive. It's too chaotic. And so I kind of use that as our analogy. Like we can't have the programming department have their own projects. We can't have Marcom have their own projects. IT have their own projects. We need a shared vision and we need to get there together. Um, that means saying no to some stuff and, and prioritizing it later. But what we benefit from having organized projects is an organized vision and in, in, in we're getting there together. And so what was the response to this idea of an organized vision? Because my experience in a lot of almost like standardization projects is everybody's for a shared vision as long as it's my vision. What was your experience bringing everyone sort of along for the ride? What was some of the pushback that you got as the shared vision came out and there were aspects that perhaps folks didn't share? Yeah. So just to kind of give you context or like lay the foundation for where we started, I looked up those like project management maturity models early on. And I was like, oh no, we are way to the left here. Like we're crazy ad hoc right now. Um, and, and just to give you context, I started documenting all of the quote active projects we had. Um, and like I said, 350 people, 20 branches. Let's play a fun game. How many active projects do you think we had? I'm guessing it's more than 350. No, it wasn't, but it was 100. It was 165. But right now we have anywhere between 10 to 12. And, you know, all of those weren't like true projects. Maybe they were things that were hanging over our head like a black cloud, making us feel guilty for not prioritizing. Um, You know, some of them were things like software rollouts, like true projects. Right. But even just creating a shared language or shared understanding around what foods as a project was like, that was like step one. We had to figure out what does a project look like here? And that was a little bit tricky for, for our industry because we're a little bit non-traditional, right? We don't have like clients, we have taxpayers. So we're in a unique position in that we're funded by every taxpayer. So everyone is our client. 
we don't have profits to measure our success. We don't even always have direct feedback unless we seek it out with surveying or um, focus groups, things like that. So we have patron satisfaction, we have visitor count, we have circulation, we have number of people in our service area with active cards, but we don't have the traditional KPIs, I guess. And so that leaves us with an issue of having this massive scope, right? Um, We have so many people with varying perspectives and interests to show our value to. And we get caught up in this phenomenon of trying to kind of appease everyone and saying yes to too many things. So a lot of the things that we say no to, you know, you know, people's personal vision, that that that's what we should be doing right now, right? So back to your question, most of the stuff we say no to aren't bad ideas. And and so that's what I kind of started with. Like, we're going to have to start saying no to some things. And I want to be clear that that doesn't mean it's not a bad idea. It's just not the right time for that idea. And just continuing to focus on what was gained, what was gained in the process. Um, And really, I thought that was going to be an uphill battle. And I'm to this day, like, completely shocked at how little work I had to do to continue to to create the buy-in for it. I think people, it was, it, it was, you know, uncertain times, right? It was during the pandemic. I think people were craving clarity and craving structure and craving um, clear expectations at that time. So really it, it went over way better than I, than I anticipated. Once in a while we have a tough conversation, but I, you know, I, I do due diligence when we decline a project or when we say it's not the time to give really clear reasons as to why we can't accomplish it. We have clear strategic pillars now. Um, we have three and then we have um, init- annual initiatives that kind of further those ends. And, you know, people are largely understanding of that, like, oh, okay, you know, t- now is not the time for that. I, I don't really have to have that many tough conversations around it. And so how did you define what a project is? Um, so at first it was everything because I didn't want people kind of creating their own rules. So I said, if you have an idea, it's coming here just to really like set that direction forward. Um, I was inundated with programming proposals. So as a library, the bulk of what we do is programming. And I was like, I can't handle all of these. So we created a separate process with our programming department to, Um, filter new programming ideas there because some of those aren't genuine like like huge projects Um, they're just new programming opportunities and I really wanted a clear process for that too because I would be on Facebook and I would see like one of our branches is having like this really like fantastic program I'm like wait why are we only doing it this like rural branch why aren't we doing this elsewhere and so now every idea that we have is taken to our programming there are they're called our bops there are branch outreach and programming specialists there are librarians who kind of oversee our programming at, at all of our branches um they review all of the ideas now and they more strategically implement so they're looking at things like historical performance of similar uh, programs geographic variation. So we're not going to schedule the same program all in like one cluster of the county, right? Um, and so we're, we're being more intentional about where, how we share ideas. So not necessarily just projects, but idea sharing in general. That reduced a lot of the, the, the project proposals that I was getting. And at first we kind of started loose, you know, like 
what's your projected budgets? People are like, I have no idea what a budget is. That's what you're here for, right? <laughs> um, and so as time is going on, we're getting a little more kind of firm in what we're requiring of a proposal. Now that we now that we have the process established, let's start fine-tuning it in 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 um raising our expectations for what you give us in a proposal. And I love this idea of buying into the fact that we need structure, identifying sort of thinking that's already been done. We aren't starting with a blank piece of paper here. So identifying thinking that's already been done in terms of the kinds of structures we can apply. And then what it sounds like is you've taken those structures, those the ideas of those structures, and from some baseline started to build them in ways, I mean, thinking about this proposal, like your proposal submission form, build them in ways that make sense and are sensitive to actually the needs of, of your constituency, as opposed to sort of taking a one size fits all, I'm going to take something off of the, the PMP exam book and plop it down and say, this is what we do. And this is why. Yeah, I, st- I, I was set on, you know, using Microsoft Project for a little bit. And I was like, showed a couple of people and I was like, I just don't think this is going to go over well here yet. Like we need, we need to introduce the tools when the organization's ready for them. And you know, I, like I said, I, I feel like I have a good hand on the pulse of, of kind of what the organization's ready for. So we just started with Microsoft Planner. You know, we we create my department. It's just me and my um, admin assistant slash project coordinator. Every time a project is approved, we create a project plan in, in Microsoft Planner um, with the same things, all things linked up, like training, marketing, all of that. And then they fill in their tasks and we help them with that. So just kind of setting these expectations and, and telling them like, hey, we're not going to throw you to the wolves, right? We're here to help you and walk you through this via Teams. I'll come down, I'll pop down, I'll come to your branch, I'll show you what to do. Um, but, you know, it's starting small and, and building once you're assessing that the, the organization's ready for a little more growth. And you mentioned that you've seen now the number of projects shrink from one project for every two employees to a much more manageable portfolio. What are some of the other, are you seeing projects be more successful or more likely to be on budget? What are some of the other outcomes that you're seeing as you've brought in additional structure? Yeah, so now we have, I have a really great way to like visualize capacity. So there are six members on our executive team and we all have to sponsor a project. A project needs our sponsorship to make sure that all of those barriers that come up, if, if timeline is an issue, if budget's an issue, if scope's an issue, that we're there to kind of bless any changes um, that come that come to, from it. Um, that said, we really should only be doing maybe two to three or sponsoring two to three projects at a time because we have whole other jobs <laughs> besides um, besides running projects. Right now I'm at four, but that was due to some turnover and some things happening. And, and my job is more project oriented than, let's say, like our, our HR director's job. So, you know, that's a great way for us to visualize capacity, because if I have some great ideas coming through and we actually do have the budget for them um, or if we got like a grant or something like that, I can say, well, we might have the budget, but we don't have the time. We have to factor in all of these rollouts. I don't have the the, the capacity to help if anything comes up. So that's been nice for um, only getting a handle on what our capacity is and should be. Um, but additionally, we also implemented, you know, project charters. Um, so establishing a contract from the get-go for what this project will entail so that way we're not at risk of it snowballing and turning into like five other projects. 
And so that has, you know, all of the basic things on it, like the budget, the team, the risks, um, the, you know, the current state, the future state, and then we all sign off on it if we're sponsoring it. So um, that's been helpful too, uh, because um, it helps later with measuring success. So we have success criteria in there as well. And we just are pulling, you know, those deliverables and we revisit them when we close out a project. So instead of just saying, oh, it's done, let's move on, right? I, I mean, we've all been at the end of a project where that's how we feel. We're like, ah, oh, let's just be done with it, right? We're actually sitting down and intentionally looking at um, the project charter, filling out the closeout report, making sure we did what we set out to accomplish. And um, you know, I, I, I would say that timeline is our biggest continued struggle here just because we're all really ambitious and <laughs> optimistic by nature. Um, and we hadn't been really measuring timeline as much. Of course, like we adhere to budgets. We now know what the scope is, but some of our, our timeline projections are just off because we were new at this. And I've been trying to be really proactive and communicating to project teams like, hey, um, we need to be realistic about projecting this, but I don't want you like dry heaving in the bathroom because the project deadline is coming up and you're not going to make it right. I mean, that does nothing for psychological safety. So I'm like, okay, we, you know, if you don't meet this deadline, that's okay. Now we'll know next time that a project of this scale is going to take longer. Or now we know to factor in the fact that like three of your team members were on vacation. We'll look at that from now on. And it's really been a great learning process and growing process. And we haven't had too many bottlenecks, like by the nature of our organization, we have quite a few in like May because we don't do a lot of projects during summer because summer programming is like huge in libraries um, and at the end of the year. So now we have, we know what our seasonality is. We know what our capacity is. We know better now what timelines are for some of these projects we're taking on. Yeah. So it's just been a great learning process. And, and like I said, I, I just keep stressing like this is also new to us. Let's be okay with failure a little bit, but let's learn from that failure. Talk to me a little bit about, and you mentioned that you joined your local PMI chapter, your regional PMI chapter. Um, you reached out to folks in project management in other industries to try to learn from them. Talk to me about the role then that networking played, really broad networking, it sounds like, played in informing this journey that you and KDL have been on. I, I struggled a little bit trying to find like a true mentor because um, I am in administration at a library, um, but I don't have a lot of peers in my library because we're so large that no other libraries in the state of Michigan, as far as I know, have like a project management office or my counterpart. So I don't really have a local peer. So I went hunting, I went hunting online. Like, is there anybody in the United States? Is there anybody in the world that has, has one of me at their library? Um, and this was before I had this role. So I was, I was reaching out and just trying to find libraries that have adopted project management. And I found um, a library in Colorado, this woman named Kim came from the, the project management world and their director came from the IT world. So they had those backgrounds. And so it translated quite well. Um, and she helped me with a lot because I was feeling, I was like, do I have like a step-by-step -step guide for how to like make this happen in the library? And she, she helped me. She found the maturity matrix or maturity model for me to look at. And I met up with her at a conference and she gave me a lot of like great pointers. Um, so I started in libraries, just curious to see like if I had anybody that could help me through the process. Um, and then once I joined PMI West Michigan, I noticed a lot of people were in like manufacturing and IT and construction and stuff. So 
it's really funny joining like some of those networking events because they're like the library like we love the library but why are you here right <laughs> like what kind of projects do you have <laughs> um so it's always a good conversation and i always kind of like take little bits here and there but but really i mean we're all dealing with the same stuff right like a lot of a lot of these networking events have just like reinforced my appreciation for soft skills like you know, a lot of these hard skills can be taught and I'm, and I'm still learning and I'm, I, I try to be humble about that. Like I'm still learning, <laughs> but really the thing that made this a, a success in, in the library and in, in my organization, I think is just years of relationship building already. I had, tr- I had trust, I had perspective, I had knowledge of what the organization was ready for. So if you would have dropped me in like a different organization and be like, Hey, create a project management office, I would have just like suffered. <laughs> And failed miserably. But conversely, if we would have had a traditional project manager or like a por- por- portfolio manager come in here and try to like rein all of this in and like set um, expectations and build process, I think that would have gone horribly too because it would have just been so jarring. They may not have known like what the culture was ready for at that point. So, yeah, people from all over, I mean, the health industry, health industry is huge here in West Michigan. So I've met a couple of people from there, from different manufacturing, from IT, somebody from the local um, community college came in and and helped me with a few things too. So um, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting to try to kind of find those peers and those mentors and, and kind of try to distinguish what I should take from them and what we may not really work out here or what I need to leave behind. Yeah. And so if you could give yourself advice, your 2019 self-advice, if you could give advice to others who perhaps are at the beginning of the journey that you're on, what would it be? You know, have a little more self-trust and don't put yourself under pressure to um, kind of do things by the book. I was always like so afraid to show people like some of my process too, because I was like, this is embarrassing compared to like real project management, right? And I always felt like so intimidated by everybody else's process. And then when I showed um, that woman, Kim, from that Colorado library, and when I showed a couple of other people what I was working on, they're like, wow, this is really cool. Can I screenshot this? And I'm like, what? <laughs> my work? Really? I was like, my embarrassing little like homegrown PMO here, really? I was like, okay, so maybe, you know, maybe this is what we need right now. And we actually submitted a, we submitted an award application for Urban Libraries Council several months after it was rolled out um, with some screenshots and a description of the process and a video and stuff. And we actually won top innovator in strategic management um, in all of, in all of U.S. libraries. So it was like, it really reinforced. I mean, I think that's what I needed because I was like, I don't need, like, we don't, I don't necessarily need validation, but when you're like dealing with tons of imposter syndrome and you think that your project management office is fake, <laughs> some external validation is really nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. Um, but yeah, so I guess I would just say to, to kind of sum that up, you know, just have some self-trust, rely on networks and, you know, don't feel pressure to have to do things by the books, like, um, you know, take what works. That is great advice. Thank you, JC. And thank you for being on the show with us today. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own teams. If any of our listeners would like to bring these kinds of conversations to their own organizations, you can visit us at Blue Swift Consulting to learn more. Thanks again, JC. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.